In every single one of my episodes, I like to say, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, your children third, because in that way, you do your best work with your children. That you've heard from me, if you've listened to every episode of Beyond Risk and Back, at least 180 times. You see how quickly I just popped in there, how many episodes I've done? But here's the thing, is that between taking care of yourself and taking care of your children, the episode that I, I tend to neglect finding the right guest to speak as an expert on is the take care of your adult relationships second. When your child is struggling, marriage is struggling, you're struggling with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you're struggling with your partners, you're struggling to get out there and date. When you do get out there and date, you're gonna get distracted, you're canceling dates. You're canceling dates with your spouse. You're canceling dates with the person that you have committed to work alongside adult to adult. This is your support system. This is your this is your vent funnel. This is the this is the other adult in the room on the other end of the phone on the email that you can talk to, vent with, that you can say your your angry stuff to, you can say your your vulnerable stuff to, you can say all these things to, and then once you get all that stuff out, you can start looking at your kids again. You can start working on your kids again. You can start doing this thing with this struggling teen again. But I can't tell you in how many relationships I've seen end because the teens are struggling and in recovery. It's, you have to know folks, that recovery is really hard on a relationship. Relationships very rarely survive recovery when one of the adult participants is the addict in recovery and the other is the spouse. But we're talking about how to avoid that, right? Beyond Risk and Back is about how to keep your kids out of treatment. This is about how to get your relationship into recovery while your teen is struggling, not before, not after, but while your teen is struggling, you're in the thick of it. My guest, Jason Gaddis, I've known for a long time. He's a he's a massive figure of a man in the Boulder men's group work. And then, then I, that's when I knew him, is that we were both involved in a lot of men's work. Then he got into the relationship work and his, his business, the relationship school, his podcast is called The Relationship School. Jason is not only no BS, but he's also got the compassion, the heart, and the ability to nurture his relationship. He's a father. He's been a, a stay-at-home father. Um, he's, he's in a partnership that is, it's ideal. And, and he's going to be real and raw about it. And we're going to talk about part two. Tend to your adult relationships. Let's tend to the adult relationships. Thank you for joining me this week on Beyond Risk and Back. My guest is Jason Gaddis from the Relationship School. Jason, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, brother. Thanks for that great intro. Awesome seeing you. Hey, as, I, as I've always said, and every time we get a chance, I love satelliting around the work that you do. I listen to your podcast. I stalk you on Facebook. Um, it's been amazing to see each other change over the years as we get more and more refined in our mission, vision, passion, and purpose. But I am curious out of the gate, what changed you off of the men's work path into the relationship work path? Why did you, why did you swap? Yeah, man. Well, it was many years ago when we had that, 
evolving men's conference that you were at um, and that we did some good work at that I came out of there pretty frustrated because I was like, man, we just didn't really accomplish what I wanted to, which was to figure out how to market to men who don't want help. And I had been trying for years to help men basically who didn't want help. It's kind of like trying to help that addict who doesn't want help. You know, it's, it's hard. Right. Right. (laughs) And I eventually figured out that one of the ways in for men to get help is through their marriage or their relationship, because a lot of men suffer there. And because they're conditioning, they are pretty jammed up emotionally. They've cut off their heart. They're in their head trying to fix the problems in the marriage instead of actually learning how to communicate emotionally. And I realized, God, one of the ways in here is through the couple, through the relationship. And so I started really doubling down on couples and working with relationships and eventually just, you know, grew and grew. And, and now um, I'm doing what I'm doing. And you guys, and I say you guys, because your wife is involved in the relationship school as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, my wife, you, she's one of our guest faculty. She comes in, she's kind of my secret weapon. <laughs> Having been to your workshops, I know what you mean by that, because the secret weapon, uh, that's that's when you really get something under your oh, yeah. skin and, and you kind of have to blow blow open. You can't, you can't white knuckle it. Why do men compartmentalize the issues so badly. I, I have, I, I did some work with a woman. She wrote a book called the CEO, the chief enabling officer. And what she revealed is that the moms who are caretaking the, the, the struggling team, coddling, doing everything like that are, are doing things out of fear, but they're not actually the, the chief enabling officer. It's the fathers who have compartmentalized, cut off, only show disappointment and spend all time focusing on other projects that they can actually complete do i don't know but what is it about men that when things get hard we separate why why do we separate out from the source yeah well my theory and and we've talked a little bit about this over the years uh, and I, i think you'd probably agree it's the conditioning man like little boys are taught to separate from their emotional experience and their inner experience very young the boy code and how we train boys Uh, is still extremely problematic in my opinion. And it's tragic because boys learn very quickly what's okay and what's not okay uh, in the social circle. And they'd rather get acceptance than get beat up or made fun of uh, for their tears or their sensitivities. So they stuff that shit, man. And, And then pretty soon, two decades go by and they're doing the same thing in a relationship. And under stress, the last place they're gonna go is vulnerable. Under stress, guys go into problem-solving mode and they go into their heads and they try to figure it out, which is cool. It's a good skill. We don't want to get rid of that. Uh, but man, we could be so much more powerful if we employed other faculties in our system like our heart, our intuition, and our sensitivity. Are those, and, and, and as, as we start to bridge into um, women figuring out how to work with the men in their lives, are we asking men to tap into either feminine side have you are you trying to say this is not masculine feminine this is just people man or are we saying there's a whole missing chunk we got to train yeah i mean we could say all of that Uh, and really it's just we're just being people like you're going to be more guys that are listening you're going to be more powerful as a father as a leader if you have access to your emotional life that's just straight up i mean why would you ask your wife over and over to continue to do the emotional labor for the family. That's not cool, man. You got to pull your weight. So it's, okay, shit, I got to learn how to feel. I got to learn how to 
um, empathize. I got to learn how to relate. And, and my problem solving is awesome, but I also need to develop this underdeveloped capacity in me to feel into my children, to sense if they're okay, to, to wonder and to also like track them in a way that they, they feel held and cared about instead of just kind of doing my, my job or uh, doing what I'm supposed to do as a, as a man in this culture. So you're talking to an audience that's going to be about 80 to 85% women, moms. That, yeah. That's who my demographic is, is yeah. moms. They're the one who seem to reach out for support and connection first to figure out how to navigate what's going on with their kiddos. So as we move into this, as we move into this relationship training, I, I would sincerely love for this episode to be some training. Yep. We're we're going to have fifteen to eighty five men to women ratio. <laughs> um, so a lot of what I'm going to be asking is to say, how as a wife, as a female partner, as a stepmother, as as the feminine primary in the family, do you get engagement? How because I know so many of the moms want to share the burden of the emotional work, share the burden of the resourcing work, share the burden of the work. Yeah. Um, how do you ask for that? How, how do you suggest a mother? Let's start at the beginning. How does a mother ask the, the, the spouse, the husband, the boyfriend for help? Yeah. So first of all, just to your point, I just want to thank all the moms, all you moms listening that are the one to take your kids into recovery, to get help, to find the resources. Just thank you. I mean, hell yes for your capacity to know your child and to sound the alarm and to try to get help. So got to say that first. Uh, next, that's also part of the problem here, um, is your immense love and desire to help your kids sometimes doesn't leave a ton of room for the dad or the guy. Um, and so he defers to you all the time because he's used to doing that. And you've trained him over the years to not be engaged that you've got it covered, that you're handling it, that you're on top of it. Don't worry. But I, I know all the kids' teachers. I know when they come home. I know, I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm on it, honey. You just go earn us a living or you go do whatever you're going to do. You've communicated that probably for many years. And so it would make sense that he has hit the snooze button a little bit around parenting because he hasn't had to. So first, you've got to recognize you have a role in say in a sleep father or a father who's a little checked out or not as involved, you have a role in that. You can't just point the finger at him. You've got to own like, wow, I've taken up all the space here and I, I've gotten really good at this. It's my mission. I'm alive here. And I haven't left you a ton of room to collaborate in here, honey. That would be really cool if you actually heard, if he heard you own that as opposed to kind of blaming him for not being involved. So I think that's, that's like step number one. And that's definitely physics. I mean, two things cannot occupy the same space. And if the mom, the, the mother of the children is taking up all the space, then there's no space for someone else to stand in, take a role, that's take right. a part. However, I'm also hearing the moms listening to this episode say, well, you know, every, when I do pass the chore over to him, when I do pass the, 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 that, that thing, you, you call that place, I'll call this place. There's a thousand questions. Like, like <laughs> if, if, if she doesn't do it herself, it's not going to be done right. Is it's that just because? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it is. It is. But, but how do you un, 
How do you get out of that spin? Yeah, well, you got to be willing to let your kids fall down and your husband to fuck it up. Um, it, just like when I delegate a task to my team that someone's maybe hasn't done it before, I have to let go of control and know that it's not going to be to the standard that I want it to be. So again, that's on me. I have to take responsibility for loosening my grip, knowing that I'm going to lower my expectations a little uh, because you're learning, you're new at this. And like, that's really helpful. Again, it gives me space. I'm going to feel less judged and criticized as a father, as a husband. Uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do this. But, but here's the important thing is you've got to have some kind of come to Jesus meeting or eye to eye conversation. Cause a lot of this is done in complaint, the resentment builds and it comes out as passive aggressive while I'm looking at my phone. Like you've got the, to the moms listening, you have to sit your guy down and say, I need to have a talk with you. And here's, I'll just illustrate one story. If I may, when my wife was pregnant with our second child, I was going through what I called a spiritual emergency. And this is shortly after you and I met Aaron. And I was just kind of having a meltdown and I was having a midlife crisis, if you want to call it that. It lasted like a year and a half, dude. It was gnarly. I had to face so many demons. I didn't know who I was. I felt like I was lost in my life. I didn't have a sense of purpose. And I was talking about that shit all the time with her. She was my sounding board, right? So you'd think she's a good audience. Of course, my wife is going to be my best friend. She's going to be the person hearing this. Well, at a certain point, she's having the hardest pregnancy of her life. And she, she says, she just looks at me and she was, I never forget it. She was on the couch and she looks at me and she says, Jason, I don't give a shit what you're going through. What I'm going through is more important and you need to start fucking showing up for me. Get out of your self-absorbed spiritual thing you're going through and start showing up for me. And dude, she was looking me right in the eyes and I just stopped in my tracks, right? I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> and I, I got super defensive, right? But I didn't say anything. I just got defensive inside. I felt like attacking her and uh, like, how dare you? You don't know how important this is. I don't feel seen like whatever. I just relaxed and I was like, all right, I'm going to take that in. I don't want to respond right now. And I walked away and I was super pissed. And after, you know, 24 hours or so, I was like, I just said, honey, can we talk? And she said, sure. And I looked at her and I said, okay, deal. And I just said, I'm going to go elsewhere for my shit and my support. And I'm going to show up for her. And that's what I did. But it took her, I wouldn't have done that, dude. Had she not said, look, this is not working for me anymore. It's time you start attending to me and what I'm going through. And so we could say, we could extrapolate that, right? Into child is using drugs or whatever's this, the scenario. And I'm like, just working. It's like the mom has to come in and say, hey, it's time to collaborate. It's time to be a team. It's time to deal. We are a family. You can no longer sit on the sidelines. And I know I haven't made space for you. I'm making space for you now. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. That's okay. But we have to be a team. It's go time right now. Alison Armstrong kind of calls that the, 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 like the superhero calling, where you literally ask the, 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 the man, the husband, to come in and say, all right, I need you to rescue here. Right. And it's, maybe it's not rescue me. Maybe it's rescue the kid or maybe it's rescue the family or it's, but, but you, you literally have to say the words because unlike the mom, the man, the dad's not going to infer 
that this is what's being asked. They're going to hear the attack. Right. Unless the words are so clear, like I, I have a, I have a great example, just like the one you had where I, and, and it's, it's amazing because my wife did the same thing. She was like, wow, that's attractive. And I was like, oh my God, like there was the knife in the moment, but it's the knife you pay attention to because uh-huh. I was, it, it knocked me conscious. Yeah. When she said it that way, it, because I was acting like an idiot. She's like, right. oh, this is, this is not attractive. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's not the man you marry. You actually married a man who can handle shit. And I'm not, totally. okay. I, and it right. takes a minute, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, that's who I am. Right. Of course. Yeah. So right. the, the other thing a woman can do, and this is again, practical. Uh, there's a couple things. Number one, show him how the impact of his absence, show him, which means cry or be emotional or be upset because if you're just lecturing him on top of your vulnerability and you're not willing to actually be vulnerable and show him the impact of his behavior, that sucks for him because he's just going to shut down or feel criticized more than likely. If you can bring the pain and say, man, I am in pain and I'm worried about our son or our daughter, I'm, I'm worried about us, and you can, you can risk being vulnerable uh, and I know you're not going to feel like it sometimes. That's enormous if you can do that. Secondly, if you can speak to his values and his magnificence and his brilliance and say, I want your brilliance here. I need your magnificence. I need your smarts. I need your badassery. I've seen you at work. I've seen you do those things with sports. I've seen you and speak to his values and enroll him through his values, not your values. Hey, I need you over here. You know, my wife did it, but I, I, I listened. Like that works sometimes. But you can also say, look, um, let's say he's a CEO and he's, he's really stressed out it's, and he's very good at what he does and he's earned you a, a good living. You could say, I know you are an incredible CEO and I know you're an incredible leader and I need that leadership now in our family. I need you to do whatever you do at work to do that here. Are you willing to do that with me? You know, so, and that's going to enroll him. He's going to feel seen. He's going to feel acknowledged. He's going to feel appreciated. And then hopefully he'll feel called forth. In that calling forth, how much um, pressure responsibility do you, do you put on either person and any more than the other to get the date night started. I mean, look, you got a kid who's been running away. He's been thrown out of school for, for smoking yeah. pot. You don't like the, the set of friends he, they're hanging out with. They got a minor in possession charge. They haven't done anything about it. But you, maybe as the mom, you're going to yoga class, you're doing this stuff. Who gets the date night started up? Who, who sets forward and says, as CEO of this family, I declare Friday nights, Regardless of what he's doing, we're going to let the cops handle it. We're going to let the neighbors handle it. We're going out. Or how, how do we start this process? That's great. Well, uh, to start just with the concept here first, which is, uh, and I, I'm sure you've said this many times, which is teens express what parents repress. Uh, so if parents are repressing their shit that is undealt with in the marriage, the teen will act it out. Um, so if a teen is getting blown out, I always, the very first place I look at is the marriage, is the relationship. What happened? When did the dad leave? When did the mom leave? When did the affair happen? When did you guys uh, go silent on each other? Uh, when did you go dark? You know, like what happened here? Well, this kid is needing something and no one's talking about it. And now he's acting out as a way to get you guys to deal with each other. 
So I, I just want to start with that as a can be a helpful frame uh, as, as a challenge and an invitation to parents to stop pathologizing the kid and start saying, huh, we have a part in this. What is that? And that will be the impetus of things like date nights. It's like, it seems like, honey, we have a kid who's kind of acting out or is being a pain in the ass or is super challenging right now. All the more reason for us to get together weekly. And let's call it a date night. Let's call it a uh, family meeting, a uh, couple meeting, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. We must prioritize our relationship. And here's the thing, we can't just talk about the kid for three hours. We have to actually talk about us also, because parents get really stuck there, right? My wife and I fall into that trap where something's going on with the kids, we'll go on our date night and we spend fucking half the time talking about our kids. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, we talk about our kids every night. Can we get a night off? <laughs> You know, so I, I think it's also important to talk about us. What, what are we? Where are we? How are we? And we actually make eye contact. We look at each other and we could even say, we can start with, I'm scared to look at you right now. It's been so long. I, I'm scared. I, I don't know if I want to turn and look in your eyes. That's, that's the starting point. Great. If that's all you got, start there because it's honest, right? And then we can start to cultivate... So we can both problem solve our situation with our kid, but we can also talk about how maybe we're part of the problem and how, what are we going to do to improve our marriage or our relationship or our co-parenting? Let's say we're co-parents. That's okay too. It seems that there's so many areas of the relationship between the parents that are, that are affected by this, right? The emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the financial, the mental, like it's, yeah. it's all affected by what's going on. What do you start with? How do you how do you even get this thing started? I, I I get the conversation. I love the. It's just hard to look, even look right now. I'm I'm scared to look you in the eye. Which topic do you grab first? Is there is there an order? Or do you just you find organic? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think um, we can have. There's two ways to go about this. Organically is let's go with whatever is the most charged, the most alive, the most interesting that we both agree on. Okay, that's, that's one option. The other one is a preset agenda, which is I want to meet you tomorrow night from six to nine, date night. I got a sitter. We're good. The first hour, I'd love to talk about our kid. The next two hours, I'd love to not talk about our kid and talk about our relationship or our finances or the debt that we have that we're dealing with or the homeschooling that we're now dealing with or how the hell we're going to do school and what's, gonna, what's our contingency plan if school shut down again. Right. So we, I think both are good. My, my wife and I certainly try both. And I, I notice if I don't, or she doesn't advocate for something ahead of time, sometimes the heat of the moment or wherever we go, or we get in a fight or, or it's really juicy, whatever it is, that thing can get lost. And now it's like, oh shit. And um, we, we didn't get to it. Uh, and that can create more stress. So I think it is important to be proactive if you can, at least with one thing, you know, Wait, you and your wife get in a fight? I thought I was talking to a marriage expert here. What's going on? <laughs> oh, dude, come on, man. I'm a normal human being. Remember, fighting. In fact, we were in a snag um, uh, last night, just, just last night. Um, so this is, this is part of the landscape. I always love to tell people, like, just because you learn a lot about relationships doesn't mean you don't fight. It means you probably fight as much, more or less, than everyone else. We are just, I would say pretty good to great sometimes at repairing, at reconnecting after the right. fight. Absolutely. We're efficient. 
Yeah, and I, what I tell parents is, look, I'm a parent and I'm a parenting expert. I'm rarely both at the same time. Like, yeah. like you're, you're, yeah, exactly. My, my my kids will go deal with someone else. Ask my kids how good my parenting was, right? right. And that that's okay. All right. So now we've set up uh, a moment, uh, a date night. We've set. We were consciously. What I keep hearing. You know, whether it's the male or the female or the, the husband, the wife, which, which side of the partnership it's on, it's sounding like the conscious one has to make the first move yeah. and maintain the trajectory and momentum until, like, like you, yours in my example, the other partner goes, oh, I'm awake now. Sorry, I, was, I dozed off there for a yeah. second. I was unconscious. Where, where are we? Who's hurting? What can I do? You know, it didn't point me in a direction. Um, but, but now that we've got, now that we've got two people awake and we're heading in a direction, how do we deal with the constant defensiveness that's going to come up? We are dealing with our children. They're doing devastating things, self-injurious things, th- 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 deadly things at times. Yeah. And you, no one wants to be the bad guy. No one thinks they're on the wrong team. No one is choosing the wrong side of history. And we look at something the other partner is doing, and we're like, "You're f- fucking this up." And yeah, you can't express that and not expect defense. Expect defensiveness. You can't express frustration with an activity or lack thereof and not expect defensiveness. So when defensiveness shows up, what do we do? Great. Uh, I like to think of two human beings when under stress and say fight, fighting or conflict of some kind we turn into scared animals and our scared animals are very sensitive. And my scared animal is going to bounce off your scared animal. And I'm going to read your body language and everything else to see if it's safe or not. So defensiveness, we all, if we can reframe that as just self-protection, a defensive partner, all they're doing is protecting themselves because they're scared. What are they scared of? That's interesting. What are they scared of? So I don't know, but probably in every scenario, it could be something different. But most of us have just a couple of fears. Like, I'm afraid you're going to leave me, judge me, criticize me, reject me type of thing. Or I'm afraid you're coming in too close to me. It's either too close or too far away. Those are kind of the two primary fears. And that's usually at the bottom of our fights is something like that. Um, So if, if you notice you're being defensive, if you're the one being defensive, the very first thing you've got to do is own that rather than follow it up with all your bullshit rationalizations and great storylines, it's just saying, honey, I'm feeling super defensive right now. I'm defensive. Yep, that's true. I feel scared and I feel defensive. That's all you need to say because it's ownership. It's very responsible. You're not blaming anybody. You're just saying I'm defensive. Defending is a whole different story and it's just going to make things worse. So that's the first thing. Uh, another, another tip is to, if you notice that whoever notices, like you were saying, it's kind of like the most resourced person, whoever's the most available for this conversation, the most in the front part of their brain can say, you go first, I will listen. Uh, I want to make sure I understand you. And I, I call the tool LUFU and I teach this here at the relationship school, L-U-F-U, and it stands for listen until they feel understood, Lu Fu. So the most resourced person, Lu Fu's the other person. 
because I, I spent years defending myself when my wife uh, was like, you're not understanding me. And I, I'd say, dude, this is crazy. I'd say, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am too understanding you. I too, I do understand you. <laughs> it's like, what? I was like in that one for three years, bro. It, before I was like, wait a minute, this is getting me nowhere. It just made things worse. And finally I was like, I'm going to put the responsibility on my wife to tell me if she, if she feels understood or not. And that changed everything. Wow. So then I started teaching it like, no, the other person, you listen until they feel understood, not until you think you understand them. Until they say, yeah, thank you. I'm feeling understood over here. Hey, honey, we got a new tool to, to use. I think this one's going to be good. <laughs> nice. so that's a good one, Jason. I mean, that's listen until they feel understood, Lufu. Okay. Okay, because right there, that you're giving the person just total space for the conversation, total space to express. There's a, <laughs> because we are both, both, both my wife and I, both the parents that I know I work with, everybody in this situation when their kid is struggling goes into problem solving mode. Yeah. But that's not always what's required in these conversations with an ex, with a, with a current, with just with a mutually agreed upon parenting partnership. Like, like, you, you, you say, hey, so-and-so got booted out of school today. And the other person's like, hey, but A, B, C, D, right, D. Right, right. And, and the other person's like, well, can, we, can we just like, discuss? How do we discuss this? How do you discuss something without problem solving it? Yeah. So my wife and I are in this right now. Uh, I'm glad this is coming up because we're trying to figure out how we're going to homeschool our kids. And she's because she's more involved with the parenting than I am, she's leading that charge. But she's extremely stressed, right? And so I come in and what do I do? I problem solve. <laughs> I'm just like, fix a guy. I'm like, honey, all we need to do is, because <laughs> I'm Get wanting, why didn't I'm you wanting, oh. right. I got superpowers over here. I'm wanting <laughs> her to calm the hell down because that gives me relief. So that's why I'm, oh. I, I sometimes need to know where my fixing is coming from. I'm, I'm fixing because I don't like how this feels and I want it to go away. And that doesn't feel good to her, right? She's basically saying, or she basically gets the message, cool, you don't like how this feels and you're just trying to hurry it up and move it along. And that leaves me no space to kind of be in my experience and have my feelings and go through my process here. And I'm like, oh, right, good, good point. Um, so another acronym, I call it fracking. You might have heard that one before. Uh, fix, rescue, advice, complain, kill. Uh, so it's no fracking. Uh, we have kind of a no fracking rule, even though I break it frequently. <laughs> um, I, I fix rescue no giving advice that's the a advice c is complain complain about her complain about me complain throw her under the bus whatever and then killing is that didn't happen it's killing their experience it's that didn't happen that's not what i said uh that's killing someone's experience everyone's experience is 100 percent valid all the time doesn't mean it's oh, right it has nothing to do with right and wrong don't get sucked into that it's valid so I watched. Honey, the, Jason, the Jason fixed all our problems, honey. We got another acronym <laughs> on the refrigerator now. This is awesome. This is because this is exactly how these couples get into it. This is how it starts. Oh. And from here, it, it seems to me that also the kill is when your idea is just killed. Like, like yeah. you just kill their idea. They say, well, I was thinking of doing this. Oh, that's ridiculous. So we, that, that won't work. And here's 50 million reasons why. Yeah. When really we're back to. 
if you just listen to me, then you'd be calm and then I could be free from this conflict. Yeah, from this pain, this discomfort, whatever. So I've got to learn how to get bigger here. And this is, again, I've had to develop the capacity to be with my wife's emotions, experience, upset. And as you can see, I still struggle with that, but I've gotten better. I've improved. We all can improve here if we, if we actually apply ourselves, right? But I, I really, she cares more about, and a lot of us want to be seen or known or understood in our experience first. That's why Lufu is so important. And then if you want to bring in your badass refixing skills, there's probably a place for that. Um, but first, can you please see me in my pain? Like your kid wants that too. Hey, I'm using drugs and blah, blah, blah. But underneath that, as you know, there's some pain. And it's like, hey, I'm over here struggling. I, there's some part of me defending against this truth that's vulnerable, that's super vulnerable, which is I don't like myself or I'm in a lot of pain or I'm very disconnected right now. And that's what we, we're trying to like see through people into like what's really what are you really feeling and what's really, what's it really like to be you right now? That feels really good when someone's actually, you know, putting attention on someone like that. And when, when you've got a kid who's really, really struggling, it's a lot of shame. You're going to go into what I call the oh, cul-de-sac yeah. of everything you did wrong, could have done better. And, and now your kid's struggling and well, you know, my, my wife's families, they're, they're the ones with all the addicts and my husband's family is the one with the mental health issues and my, and it just, you just, it's really hard to mirror up yeah. when your kid is at an acute care unit because they tried to kill themselves and half of half of your team is missing, right. you know? And that's, again, that's where the self-care piece has to come in. But it's that, it's that next step when you've, you've come back from a walk or from a yoga class or a hike or a bike ride or something and your wife is still blown sideways and, and cannot see through this issue and is just so stuck in shame and guilt. So I guess my next question is, how do you work on pulling a partner out of their shame and guilt for the current situation? Not the defensiveness, I get what that is actually saying. How do you, how do yeah. you coax someone out of their hole of, I really screwed up our kids? Yeah, that's a good one, man. This is this is tough because shame shame as you know is it can be pretty intractable for some people and it's especially guys they'll they'll do anything but go into their shame. They'll like defend, get angry, posture, do all kinds of things but not talk about their shame. And so, I will say I, I will also say I know moms, women to hide there. You know that, yeah. that that's a, that's it's a it's a relatively safe place yeah. where they can go it's all me. I blew it. I, I could have done, you know, women are always in that comparison study You know, they're, they're always price shopping on their own yeah. consciousness and ego. I could have, and she did it so much better. And you know, Oprah and this, and yeah. how do you, how do you, how do you navigate out of shame? Yeah. Well, let's uh, just two things to define real quick, shame and guilt. So my, my definition of shame and guilt are maybe different than say Brene Brown's or other people. So shame is the perception that I've created more harm than good to myself. And guilt is the perception that I've created more harm than good to someone else. It's pretty straightforward. So if I take those two definitions, then, then if I actually define shame and guilt that way, then I can do something about it because I can change my perception. Because so many people, like you said, like when we compare ourselves to other parents and we assume and project onto them that they're doing it right and we're doing it wrong, we're going to feel shame. Right. Guaranteed. Every fucking time. And that's just prevalent, right? With social media, especially. And kids are in the same conversation, by the way, like TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat. It's like, 
they have a better life than I do because everybody only wants to report half the fucking story, which is the good right. part. Yeah, yeah. No, on all on all twelve of my Facebook pages, none of them really get to know Aram. That's just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And and so that's why we have to that's why being real as a leader, as a teacher, as a as a parent is so important is is to just like tell my son, hey, I'm struggling, man. I don't know how to do this. That's great modeling versus I got my shit together and look at me go. Um, so we ha- we have to model that. But in terms of back to your question of like how do we deal with shame, how do we pull someone out of shame? Those are, you know, two different questions possibly. But if I see you in shame, uh, and it's probably gonna come out as defensiveness or you're gonna be collapsed in a pile. I might just say, I, you know, I might say to you, I, I think you have done an amazing job uh, parenting our kid. And I see you put in effort every day uh, and you're just in, in, in it at dinner time or bedtime or the house, or I just want to acknowledge whatever I see in terms of effort. I'm going to talk more about effort than results. Your effort is, I just applaud your effort. You've tried so freaking hard and we do have a challenging kid and I just love that about you. And I see that. So, so there's can be a way that I just acknowledge effort. And honey, I also see you being really hard on yourself um, or being really defensive. And I, I worry a little bit that you're, you're in your own spiral there. And I want to help, I want to help you come out because I need you right now. Um, you know, cause, cause you being collapsed or you being defensive all the time isn't currently isn't going to help our kid. So how can I help you so we can help them? So there, that's one way, right? Um, and then if we're on our own and we're just listening to this podcast and it's like, yeah, I've got some comparison shame here. Uh, one of the best things we can do is start to stack up all the ways in which how you've parented has actually helped your kid. Right now, you're just focused on half of it. That's all you can see is the bad half, the negative half. If you could also see how this, even this moment in time of them bu- abusing drugs how is this going to help us be a better family? How is this going to help me be a better parent? How is this going to help them be a more resilient child? How is this, how is this going to help them with their mission and purpose in life? How is this? I'm reframing all the time in my mind so that I can start seeing this as an opportunity rather than a problem. And of course it's a problem, but like I want to make a, I want to widen the view, right? To, so that this is actually asking everybody to wake up, to up-level, to improve, uh, to get more connected, to value ourselves more. This is all helping us do that. Even though it sucks, it's helping us do that. And, and then we can slowly start coming out of shame. Also, we got to start really uh, watching ourselves in, in the comparison game because you know that everyone you're comparing to yourself to has problems also. They're just not showing you. Man, all right. So as we're wrapping around towards the, the, the end here, I am curious. Of all the of all the episodes you've done on uh, the relationship school, all the workshops you've 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 taught at, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been that you have ever given, heard, or received about being in relationship uh, as a parent? Oh, can I give two? Yeah, please give as many as you can. Okay. So the first one is, there's two. So I'll just mention them so I don't forget them. Conflict and then the parenting attachment stuff. So conflict is the crux of any good relationship is conflict. If you do not learn how to do conflict over time, you are inhibiting your relationship potential forever. You must 
learn how to embrace conflict as just this is part of relationships and learn how to work through it and learn how to clean up the mess afterwards. That's called repair or reconnect. Um, and all conflict is, is just a disconnection. We leave our center, we pop out and we disconnect. And all we need to do is work at getting reconnected again. So conflict, you've got to learn conflict. And that's probably of all the relationship experts I've interviewed and I've interviewed hundreds now, um, the vast majority of them agree with that or they say it in their own way. That's number one. Number two is um, if you want a securely attached relationship with your children, the single, and this is researched, the single biggest predictor of secure attachment with your kids is the parent's ability to make sense and meaning out of their own life narrative. In other words, a parent has to look in the mirror and start to work on themselves and put the pieces of their own life together in a coherent, understandable narrative. That's the biggest, this is crazy, that's the biggest predictor of a child's attachment, secure attachment with the parent. That's pretty cool. That's research Dan Siegel's done over and over and over again. And it's super cool. And I, I love that because it really puts the onus on us as parents to continue to look in the mirror, not in a, you know, narcissistic way or a beating ourselves up kind of way, but in a, in a, wow, I want to understand my own life and where I come from and what I've been through, because that's going to help me shepherd this child into adulthood. Your kids are, if, if I'm, if I'm remembering caref carefully, both preteens, still nine and six. Close nine and 11. 9 and 11, I went, there, I went the wrong direction. So you're coming up on, on the tween years. What are, your, what are you guys going to do about cell phones? Uh, well, we're kind of Waldorf-inspired family, so we haven't, our kids have seen only a couple movies up to this point. Okay. They don't do screens. We don't have a TV at our house. Um, and so it's probably going to be ninth grade would be my guess and before okay. we actually give them a phone. Okay. Um, and then as a kid who was raised without phones, uh, you know, obviously the kind of phones they have or a TV, I was raised without a TV. Um, they will make or find a way. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and do you have, do you have a parenting style? I, I, I understand Waldorf inspired. I, I certainly have read a ton of Steiner. Um, yeah. And and have worked over there at Shining Mountain, which which I believe you still live pretty near to. But um, that 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 whole Waldorf experience. Do you have another parenting manual philosophy concept that you like to steer parents down? Yes, uh, totally. And it's it's based on that last thing I said about attachment. Um, so it, it's really just an attachment lens um, from parenting, and and I have to define that because. You could say, well, what is attachment? A lot of people yeah. think they know what attachment is and it's not what it is. Attachment isn't carrying your kid around, your baby around in an ergo all day and co-sleeping with your kid until they're 10. That's not attachment, <laughs> parenting. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's just not. Um, it's also not letting your kid's emotions call the shots in your family and having no boundaries. That's not attachment parenting where every, your kid's every cry or every need is attended to with this like, oh my God, okay, let's make a big deal out of this also. That's nonsense, okay? I call that over-attachment parenting and that's going in the wrong direction. Attachment parenting basically just means um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show up and provide you a, well, let me, let me back it up. 
the easiest way is Dan Siegel's four S's, which I've modified is uh, kids. I help kids feel safe, seen, soothed, and supported and challenged. And that challenge part's really important. Feel emotionally safe. Obviously, physical safe goes without saying. Emotionally safe. They can bring their emotions and everything's okay. Uh, seen is I see you and I know you. I actually know you. I'm not trying to project and put on my values onto you and try to make you into a mini me. I'm making room for who you are and I see that in you. Uh, third thing is soothing. After a conflict or you get an owie on the playground or an owie in life, I'm here. This home is a safe harbor and it's a launching pad for you. And the fourth one is supported, which means I believe in you. And challenge means I'm going to have boundaries here. Uh, no, you don't get to have another cookie. It's 10 o'clock. It's time to go to bed. No tough shit. You don't get the cell phone. Uh uh-uh. Until you pay for it, your own money, go for it. But no, until then, uh-uh. So challenged is I'm going to con- continue to, I-, I think love is a balance of challenge and support. So that's, that's kind of where my wife and I come from is this attachment-based parenting of really helping um, provide a safe harbor and a launching pad for kids so that they can go out and be who they are. Parents are going to want to follow up with you, Jason. How are they going to find you? Yeah, the relationship school uh, is the name of the kind of my thing. And it's without the the, it's relationshipschool.com. You can find our podcast there. We're on Spotify and Apple iTunes and or podcasts rather. Um, you've been on the podcast, so you'll find Aaron's interview, which was amazing. Uh, so you should check that out as well. That uh, I, I ended up with a, a, a few clients out of your podcast, a very short term supporting them, helping them find some direction stuff. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, just some people who really reached out, you have a really resourced and resourceful audience. Um, any, any final parting words for, for my, my families here, Jason? Yeah. Uh, just saying to, to all you parents in particular is, um, when you feel like it's kind of overwhelming and, and it's not enough, you've got to get resourced with other human beings. If your spouse isn't a resource, then get resourced with a therapist, a coach, a close friend, but not just the kind of resource that's over support that'll just let you vent. A, a friend or a person in your life, including a partner, who will also challenge you. Uh, so, but, but either way, it's still a resource. Like I think the most powerful resource we can have externally, not internally, externally is another human being uh, that's safe. So make that happen in your life. Your kids are going to be better for it. You'll be better for it. I really appreciate you. I appreciate what you and your wife have created here and uh, not just your awesome kids, this, this whole relationship school thing. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's been a pleasure and I love hanging with you and uh, just jamming. So this is this is what we're talking about. I really one of the things that really struck me about what Jason was saying during this episode is is that you know the, this 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 person who gets to wake up and when he described his moment of his wife saying that story is not as important in this one, like that just resonated for me on so many levels. And we get so caught up in our stories. We get so caught up in our own unconsciousness, the way we think things should be, the defensiveness tactics we take so that we don't feel hurt, the the compartmentalization, the fix-it problems, just trying to get through the discomfort that, quite frankly, when you have a teenager who's struggling, this discomfort can go on 
for years, the stress, the not sleeping, the not eating well, the sacrificing your date nights, your exercises, your walks, just taking that poor family dog out for a walk and holding hands and talking about anything but your kid. All that gets set aside because your kid's life is in danger. And when we're talking about conscious relationships, when we're talking about conscious parenting, when we're talking about making that relationship more important than that child's safety, I want you to hear it from this. How can a child drink from your empty cup? And this relationship that you're involved in is supposed to refuel you, refill you, to teach you how to move through conflict, to have a partner, a support through all of this. And if you are not tending to that marriage, that that broken marriage, that that your ex, your your parenting partner, and you guys are, you know, 70-30 and they don't like the way you do things and they've triangulated with the kid against you, you still have to be consciously working on that relationship. And if as Jason said, if you don't find the support there, then load up on support somewhere else. Al-Anon groups if your kid's an addict. The online support groups I've found on Facebook of parents who are dealing with exactly what you're dealing with. You gotta find them. You gotta be able to call someone and say, my God, my kid's acting in such a way, I just wanna strangle them. And no one calls Child Protective Services because they're gonna allow you space to vent and they're gonna give you some tools and resources that they found because they were courageous enough to step out and tend to the adult relationship. I love the, the fracking, don't fix, rescue. Don't give advice, don't complain, and don't kill. And then the uh, the Lufu. Listen until they feel understood. Those are going up on the fridge. Folks, put them up on your fridge. You can use them with your adults. You can use them with your kids. And of course, you can use them with yourself. Parents, if you're wondering if your child actually does need residential treatment, please don't hesitate to look at firemountainprograms.com and uh, do the online assessment or call us at 303-443-3343 and take the assessment with our admissions officer. If you don't need Fire Mountain, we'll let you know. If you're interested in personal coaching with me, you can go to firemountprograms.com slash coaching and take a look at the information there. You can also go to Parenting Teens That Struggle on Facebook. That's a secret group. Parents were going through a lot of stuff. I post a lot of information there. And uh, you can email me directly at Aaron at FireMountainPrograms.com. My thanks to Deepin Productions for their producing of this podcast and the music. And of course, Jason Gaddis, who I've known for a long time, folks, you got to get over to his podcast and relationships, go and listen to the wealth of knowledge and information and support he has for you there. And remember to take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next weekend.